Um, so this morning we're going to carry on our series of loving God, loving people, and then going. And we're kind of talking this morning about loving those um, with less. Now, I don't know about you, um, what comes to mind for you when I say that phrase. Um, sometimes I find that phrase a bit difficult because I think it can sometimes kind of lead to this kind of notion of like better and lesser, and that's really not what we're talking about. So what does God say about loving those with less, and what is our response? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And loving those with less is a matter of justice. It's a kingdom thing. It's about loving all kinds of people. And I came across this phrase the other day, um, which is accredited to this guy called Tyler Staten. I don't know if you say Staten, Staten, I don't know. He heads up the 24-7 prayer organization in the USA. Sorry, I'm just doing that librarian thing of dipping my glasses so I can actually see you plus also kind of have a little look at my notes I know it puts 20 years on me but I don't care um, there we go um, so anyway back to the script um, so Tyler Staten says this phrase he says justice is kinship and I love that phrase it stuck with me because I think kinship is this old-fashioned word that speaks of being connected it speaks of relationship and it speaks of family uh, it means that there's a sharing of characteristics or origins, and it has something to do with people's hearts and their stories, like shared stories. And the connection that I want us to make this morning, then, is that justice has something to do with family. If I were born into a different situation, I could be you, you could be me. And at the end of the day, regardless of people's experiences, loving those with less is like loving your brother loving your sister, and loving your mother. And if you want to know how God feels about justice, about those who have less, you only have to pick up this book. It is, runs all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just a couple of examples. The prophet Amos in chapter 5 says this, Let justice roll on like a river. Micah in chapter 6 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The Bible shows us that God's heart is full of compassion. It always has been and it always will be. And so with that kinship phrase in mind, I want us to consider this morning that whole thing about loving those with less, about loving family, about loving our kin. And to do that, we're going to look at a story that might be familiar to some of you. Um, you can find it in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start reading from verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles, um, grab them open at that page. Um, if you've not got them with you, bring them next time. And also, it's up on the screen. Okay, so uh, this is where we're going to start. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Jesus said that the way this father loves his son is the way that God loves people. And before we even begin to think about this story um, of God's heart and think that it's for someone else, let's first know that it's a story for us and about us. You know, we who were once lost but are now found. We who have this tendency to choose our own way, uh, to get ourselves in a mess, to make poor choices. Um, we who do things that can hurt others. We who have been loved so wildly by Jesus that has undone us. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't know this love. And what I want to say to you is that there's an invitation for you to know this this morning. The way that the father loves his son in this story is the way that God loves you. The way that this father comes running after you with his arms wide open, regardless of past mistakes, this is the way that God loves you. And as we open up our hearts to God, we come to experience that we are loved. And if you've been around church for a while, you might say, yeah, of course, Pip, you know, I know this. But when we allow ourselves to be loved, when we sit with that startling reality of God's love for us, when we begin to grasp and experience how utterly amazing that is, how utterly amazing he is, that the God of the universe doesn't just have time for us but he loves spending time with us he loves us sharing every moment of our lives with him that he totally forgives us holds nothing against us and that you know we can come to him and he doesn't need any explanation it's just he just he just comes to us and he's joyful that we've come to him when we come to understand that we are loved so deeply and how utterly undeserving we are of it and how unending his love is, we come to realize that this love is not just for us, but it's for every single other human being on earth. God loves people, and this levels us. And you know, if you've not placed yourself in this story that we've just read this morning, if you've not heard it before, or if you've not sat in it, if you like, for a while, I want, why don't you read it this morning? I just want to encourage you just to do that. Reread it. Say nothing and say, I'm here, God, and just see what God does. But what then if we think about this story as being one which helps us to think about loving those with less? Because the prodigal son was somebody with less. 
He was the returning son. He was someone who literally had nothing. He had no money, no home, no opportunities. He'd completely blown everything. He'd squandered his wealth, his chances. He's made poor choices. He has a whole stack of failed relationships behind him. His life is a mess. He has no food to the extent that he's actually eating the food of pigs. And pigs were viewed in those times as um, unclean by Jewish families. So Jesus is making a point here that this guy was the lowest of the low in the eyes of society. And if a son hasn't got any money for food, then we can probably imagine that he's not got enough money for clothes. He's only got those that he's wearing. Indeed, we know that the dad gives him some shoes as soon as he arrives. So when he asks for his inheritance early on, he's basically saying to his dad, you know, you're dead to me don't want you anymore, don't need you anymore. Um, and we don't know if when he's coming back, he's making that choice to come back, if he's actually got any real remorse on his decision to come home at all. Um, his return for him might just be a means to an end, you know, to get a meal and to be clothed. But even so, the response of the father towards him is one of extravagant kindness and compassion and radical welcome and generosity. It's an astounding response. Jesus says this is what God's love is like. Shame cuts off, but love invites in. Judgment cuts off, but love invites in. Rejection cuts off, but love invites in. And you know, our greatest fear as people, um, if we look deep down, is that we might be abandoned. But God doesn't abandon. God runs towards to embrace with his arms wide open, like Jesus' arms wide open on the cross. If you feel less this morning, if you have less, Jesus says, come to me. He runs towards you to welcome you. Jesus said this to his friends in Matthew 10 verse 8. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. He's saying, see what you've been given. Give it away. To those who have less, to those who feel like less, to those who are lesser in the eyes of the world, to those who have nothing, to those who feel like nothing, to those who have nothing in the eyes of the world. Give my love away to people to people who have no hope, no peace, no joy, no sense of purpose. Give my love away. And he doesn't mince his words about this. You know, elsewhere in Matthew, uh, in chapter 25, from verse 34, this is what Jesus says. And he's talking about different groups of people. And he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then those who were, uh, then those who were going to say, Master, what, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will say, Jesus says, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it for me. And what we see in that statement is that Jesus is identifying with people who have less, those who are overlooked and ignored. And he's saying, when you do this stuff, 
When you give away my love, you're doing it with me, to me, and for me. And what we find as we look through the Bible is that Jesus not only sees the crowds, you know, he has so much compassion for people. There are times when he looks out on the crowds and he just cries. He's like, what? you are like sheep without a shepherd. You are harassed and helpless. He sees the crowds, but he also sees the in- individuals. He gets up close and he hears their stories. Now this week, um, many of you will know that we have Grow Baby as part of what we do, our kind of... Um, the way of loving the city. Um, it's just one way that we love the city, but it, it's a project that we run in town. And this week in Grow Baby, we had a number of conversations with people where they shared some of their stories. Um, two of our refugee women that have been coming for the last year, um, they had a conversation with a couple of people who are here today. And um, they wept as they spoke about some of the terror that they had fled. They were retelling the trauma of how they'd lost loved ones uh, in detail. And it was a privilege to hear their story. A mum spoke about a really difficult situation where her family are crippled by debt and they're just trying to keep bailiffs at bay, like literally each month, can they find the money to keep the bailiffs off their back. Uh, We listen to people who have had difficult relationships those who are trying to pay their bills and trying to feed their children. We heard about systems that are supposed to be working for people and helping people, but actually they feel a bit broken. You know, these stories are real and they're happening now. And the trouble is that if we don't know the people themselves, they can just sound like stories, right? They can just sound like scenarios. But when you know the people when you know their faces and their names, when they're people that you know, when there's connection, when there's kinship, it changes something. Something happens to your heart when you hear someone's story. God knows all of these people. He knows all of their stories and his heart breaks for all of them. So maybe one question this morning is, when was the last time you sat down with someone and asked them to tell you their story and just listened. In the story of this uh, prodigal son, the father knows the son's story. He has watched and he has felt every painful detail of it from afar. Like in his waiting, he has kind of seen what has been going on. And what we see in the father's response is this like of unfathomable kindness and compassion. His response to him on his return is, you are my son, you're not cut off, you're not on your own. We are connected. What's mine is yours. And if you don't know the story, or if you read a little further from verse 25, what you see is the older brother in this story has a totally different response. He cannot believe how the dad welcomes back the younger son after all that he's done. He can't believe how the dad just showers gifts and love and affection on him. The older son's response is judgmental. It's opinionated. It's harsh. It lacks love. It's a kind of, you're not my brother response. But maybe if we're being really honest, when it comes to loving all kinds of different people, maybe sometimes people we feel that are difficult, perhaps sometimes we can feel that divided. We can feel that inner tension. Like the father's response to the returning son is offensive, right? It's completely unfair. 
But what we see is this outrageous nature of God's grace. That's why it's offensive. It goes against all the rules. And what we forget is that this grace is for us as well as for everyone else. And God pours it out to us so that we can pour it out to others, regardless of what their lives look like. What people with less experience too often is the response of the older brother. But the kingdom of God looks different. We are to offer them this radical welcome and this extravagant compassion. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like if you're following me. It looks like the love of the Father in this story. It looks like loving those with less. It looks like justice as kinship. It's not turning your back on people. It's saying, you're my brother. You're my sister. Um, John Wimber, who um, way back kind of founded the Vineyard Movement, he said this, God's heart is broken over the poor the helpless, the oppressed, the homeless, and the mentally ill. If your timetable makes no room for them, you must reconsider it. That's pretty straight. <laughs> if you're new to this church, if you're new to the, the vineyard flavor of church, what you'll find is that worship and compassion are two of our main characteristics. Jesus is clear. We are to do something. We are to be his hands and feet in the communities that we live in. You know, action is involved. But I get it, it can feel overwhelming because if you take, just take a look, there is so much need in our city and our communities. So how do we do this? How do we have this kind of heart towards others when without Jesus, our hearts are fundamentally so broken that left to our own devices, we're actually more often wired like the older brother. And then how do we even begin to know where to start and when the need is so great and then how on earth do we keep going? And I want to suggest to you this morning that the only way that we can do this stuff is by keeping our eyes on the Father in this story, by daily placing ourselves in this story as a lost son and experiencing God's love towards us. Because when we do that, our hearts are softened and they become captivated by this God who runs towards us and showers us with his love and affection. It makes our hearts inclined towards him and his ways. The generosity of his heart towards us fills us up and spills out to others. And how we start and how we carry on is by coming back again and again to this place of being loved by God. If we try to love people in our own strength, despite any uh, sense of calling or um, like our own resources, we will fail dismally. We will run out of steam. We will lose focus because it's hard. Loving others fundamentally grates against how we've been wired in this world because when push comes to, cut, push, push comes to shove, uh, we're, uh, we're kind of looking out for ourselves. Um, but actually, we need to come to the one who saves us, the one who runs towards us, the one who loves us. If we allow ourselves to be loved by God over and over again, then his way of doing things, his kingdom, breaks into us and then breaks out to other people. So just quickly, before we finish, it's not half past nine, 
Okay, there we go. Um, just practically, what, what can we do? So, and I just want to talk really briefly about five things. Now, um, when we pray for people, we often kind of use this way of praying. We're like, first of all, we say, where does it hurt? Then we say, kind of work out why, like, why is it hurting? Uh, and then we actually pray. And then we ask them how it's going. And then we finish. Okay, we finish well. That's kind of how we do it when we say, like, how do we pray for people? So if we apply that model to praying for our city, what does that look like? So first of all, where does it hurt? You'd ask God, where is it hurting in my street? Where is it hurting in my community? What's wrong here? What's going on? Take a walk down your street. Notice who's around you. Um, get out into public places and see what's going on. Um, sometimes noticing where it hurts is right in your face but sometimes it's a bit more hidden. And if you don't know where it's hurting, in your street or in your city, in your community, ask people who are already involved in doing some of this stuff. Um, you know, if you know someone who's in the police, ask them what challenges they face. If you know someone who works in social care, if you know someone who teaches in a school, if you know someone who uh, mentors young people, you know, pop along to the YMCA, go to Sanctus, go to Food Bank, go to Chess, uh, go to the Essex Wellbeing and Family Services. You know, go to the prison chaplain. There are so many people out there who are already doing stuff in our city. We can get to know them. We can have a conversation with them and say, you know, what are you seeing? What is going on? At the same time, notice any resistance in you. That whole thing of, you know, oh, I haven't got time. I've got young children. It's too dangerous, too complicated. Nothing's going to change anyway. You know, why don't they just make better choices? How on earth could me doing something actually make a difference? Notice that resistance and talk to God about it. And listen to what he says. And I would say, if you're praying, don't be surprised if you find yourself recruited. That's kind of what God does. Um, God gives us grace for doing this stuff. So that's the number one. Where does it hurt? The second one is the why. Like, where is this all coming from? So we need to get more information. Again, it's talking to those people. It's maybe, you know, maybe in one of our Love Chelmsford kind of projects where we do giveaways and, you know, bless different people in the city. Maybe instead of just doing a one-off, you know, giving loads of things to um, teachers in a staff room, maybe the next time we do it, you go back to the same group of teachers and say, you know, we've been praying for you. We still want to say thank you for what you do. Um, maybe we invite them, we say to them, look, could we buy you a coffee? Maybe for your next training day, maybe we could pay for your lunch. You know, we can do all those kind of things and invest in our communities and say, look, we can see what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. And they'll help us to understand the why of what's going on. Listen to people's stories. Build that into like a rhythm for you. You know, ask questions, you know. We can do that to, to people who are kind of in organisations. We can just do it one-on-one, -on -one, you know. Um, what were your dreams when you were growing up? How, how have they panned out? What's the most exciting thing or the most difficult thing in your life right now? How can I pray for you? That helps us to listen to people's stories. And when we start to hear the stories we start to see the people. That's the second thing. Third thing, what can I pray? Would be, how do I pray? But actually, in this case, what can I do? Like, 
join in. If you don't know where to start, join in with someone who is already doing it. If you're free on a Wednesday, come and chat to me or Caroline or Sarah or Essie and, uh, you know, about Grow Baby. We'd love to have you um, on the team. Love the one who's right in front of you. That's an easy way of getting, making a start. The fourth thing, how is it going? You know, as a church, we can ask how it's going. How are we doing? Are we actually meeting a need? Um, are we being Jesus' hands and feet in our city? You can ask that of yourself just on an individual basis. Does my heart look like Jesus' towards this person who I've just walked past who's on the street? Does my heart look like Jesus's uh, when I see this person, whatever they look like, whatever situation they're in? The fifth thing is finish well. So how do we keep on seeking the wholeness of our city? You know, we want to become part of the fabric. Um, and, and when you become far part of the fabric, it, it, you, that happens by turning up and showing up day in, day out in season and out of season, when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. That's how it happens, that you become part of the fabric of the city. You, we want to be a church where if one day we are not here, the city would notice, like people would notice. And that's not for our own sakes or for our fame, but it's because we want to point people to Jesus, to this God who runs towards us to embrace. We want to point people to this God who loves us. Because the bottom line is that people don't know they're loved. You might be here this morning and you're like, I don't know this Jesus. We would love to introduce him, um, you to him this morning. You know, people don't know that we have a God who comes running towards us with his arms wide open, saying, forget about what's been. Doesn't matter about past, your past. Welcome. Come and be part of the family. You're my kin. You're my brother. You're my sister. I'm going to leave it there.